I'm going to read two passages of Scripture, one from the New Testament, one from the Old Testament. I'm going to start in the New Testament first. Colossians chapter one, chapter 2, sorry, Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea who have not yet met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. I want you to notice his goal is for them to gain understanding and knowledge in the mystery of God. His goal is not for them to change or become something. His goal is for them to understand the mystery of Christ, right? In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. So if you come to that understanding and knowledge, you're not going to be swayed by fine sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord or master, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow or deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In Christ, you've been brought to fullness. Now, I want to read something that may seem somewhat disconnected, if I can get it. From that, out of Genesis, talking about Abram, Genesis 12, when God calls Abram, who later becomes Abraham, the father of faith. So the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and you will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you. I will curse and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed from you. But verse one, he says, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. So one of the things I, I don't think we understand at all in evangelicalism is really a Paul's understanding or a biblical understanding of who Christ is because we equate Christ with Jesus completely synonymously, and Paul does not do that. Because the understanding of Christ is much bigger than Jesus. So he talks about Jesus as Lord, but he talks about Christ primarily and if you remember, when we were talking a number of years ago out of Ephesians, it says we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So to get a Hebraic or thoroughly Jewish understanding of uh, who Christ is, and even when it says in Christ all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form, it's not talking about Jesus' flesh or his body at all. There was a concept in early Judaism uh, Second Temple Judaism called the body of God. And it wasn't talking about this physical body. It was talking about form. So if you think about body as being a form, so you have God uh, who is completely 
unknowable. <laughs> Completely unknowable. Because there's no knowledge that can express who he is. And the moment you try to know him, you limit him. If you know him, I mean, it's simple, right? If you know him as father, then you're limiting the divine feminine aspects. Because there are divine feminine aspects. Uh, the Bible talks about in Hebrews a lot of various divine feminine forms of God. If you know him in the divine feminine form, you're not knowing him as father. So do you see how the moment you try to come to some kind of a knowledge, you limit who he is? So the idea then in early Christianity and Judaism was that God was completely unknowable. But God wanted to express himself. So he projects the full image of himself to himself. So if, if, if you could think about it, he forms a body that contains who he is, that then steps out of him and reflects back to him. That's the Jewish understanding of Christ. And all of humanity was included, because Adam was made in God's image, so all of humanity was included in that expression. So Christ is the image of God. Does that make sense? He's the mind of God. Is this making sense to you? So Jesus of Nazareth then becomes the human being who grounds the full expression of that Christ nature, if you will, in a person as Lord or Master or model for what we could become collectively. So he's the unique human expression of what humanity is to become in its fullness. Does that make sense to you? So then what Paul's saying is he's saying that, that you are the body of Christ. So what the what we are to become is the expression as in heaven, so on earth. So in heaven, if there's this self-reflection of God that is the image of God that is Christ, then as in heaven, so on earth. And Jesus becomes the firstborn then of many brethren. He becomes the example, not the exception, because we're being conformed to the image of Christ. Now, here's the thing. We don't have to become that. It's intrinsic in who we are. It's intrinsic to our nature. John says it the same way in his gospel, but he says it differently. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of men. And, the, and uh, he is that true light which gives light to every person coming into the world. So every person coming into the world has an expression or a light of Christ inside of them. We did it a couple of years ago. We did it differently. We talked about your destiny code that was in your soul. Or you remember that? And so you come pre-programmed with this Christ nature, if you will, that is meant to find expression in the physical realm and in the physical dimension. So that as in heaven, so on earth. Tracking with me? So you don't have to become anything. The issue is to come to the understanding and the knowledge of who and what you are. So then he identifies our problem in Colossians as being taken captive by philosophies that depend more on the traditions of men than on who Christ is. 
So see, he wants you to know who you are, but your problem is you've been taken captive by human traditions and human philosophies that blind you to who you are. Right? So to tie it into what we've been talking about, what happens is, is we come in with this expression, this ability to express the image of who we are, and we become domesticated by the world around us through all of their knowledge and traditions that depend on a false belief system that we are separate from Christ. Right? So you learn who you are, but it's not who you are. But you become programmed to think about yourself, to feel about yourself, and to believe about yourself a certain way based on your domestication that you received as a result, now I'm tying in Abraham, to your household, to your people, (laughs) to the land, country, culture in which you're formed. So you become uh, domesticated through the enculturation who tells you who you are. So then the key to coming to the understanding or the fullness or the knowledge, because here's what he says. He says, you're complete in him. In him is all the fullness of the deity, and you're complete in him. You're already complete. You don't have to do anything to get there. You're already there. Your problem is you have to unlearn who you are so and relearn something else. You have to unlearn the falseness, the false programming of who you think you are because of the domesticating and culturating process. And then you have to relearn, according to the understanding and knowledge and wisdom of Christ, who you are to become the expression of who you are. So the reality is, is that we can rest in who we are. We can rest in who we are because we're rooted and grounded. The root and ground of our being is not sin. The root and ground of our being is not evil or darkness. The root and ground of our being is the light of Christ. But that light becomes, that's the lamp that gets put under the bed or under a bushel. It's not your testimony. It's the light of Christ that is within you. And the bed and the bushel is the enculturation that causes you to forget who you are. Right? Perfect. I can't think of a better illustration than in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you because you had an existence in Christ. And I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. So I formed you in the womb to become the expression of heaven on earth. And how does Jeremiah respond? Ah, Lord, I cannot speak. I am but a child. I am but a youth. So it was his conditioning and his programming that prevented him from seeing who he was. So all the word of the Lord is doing, when the word of the Lord comes to him, all the word of the Lord is doing for him is to remind him of who he is. So the very next thing, because he knows he has that knowledge because he had it before he was formed in the mother's womb, but he forgot it. In, in Jewish, in ancient, like Second Temple Judaism, you know how we have this um, indentation below our nose, between our nose and our... What, what, what they would say is that God, uh, you would know who you were 
You would be formed in the womb and an angel would seal your orders, if you will, of what you're to be in the earth and then put uh, his finger across your lips like this because it was a secret. And it was this finger to, that caused you to forget who you were. <laughs> Because there's a secret. So when Paul's talking about the secrets and the mysteries of Christ, he's talking about awakening you to a place of remembering who you were before you were formed in the mother's womb so that you can express who you really are. So, it's, so there's nothing wrong with who you are. The problem is, is that you're conditioned to believe there is something wrong with who you are. And so awakening is remembering your own perfection. <laughs> Awakening is remembering your own perfection in Christ and being comfortable in that place and forgetting all the other stuff that tells you who you aren't. But our problem is it's like we take on a false identity. And so there's this false identity that's given to us through our enculturation through our domesticating, the domesticating process, and we take on that false identity as though it's us. And the only way we're able to do that is we take information from the outside about who we are that we then internalize because we take it personally. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, watch this. This is all embedded throughout Scripture. So go back to the beginning. So Adam and Eve are formed in the image of God. So they're in the garden in the image of God. And there is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil that represents knowledge outside of who they are. Something that is external to themselves. That the serpent whispers to them will make them greater than who they are. If you eat this, you'll be like God. Well, they were already made in the image and likeness of God. So they take this knowledge of good and evil that's from the tree, family tree, cultural tree, and eat it. And when they eat it, the Bible says they, they withdrew themselves. And we think they went and hid because we can only think, but no, they withdrew themselves and then stepped into a false identity. Who told you you were naked? They stepped into a false identity that was the basis of the voices that they had been hearing outside of themselves and forgot who they were. So now life doesn't work for you anymore and you have to go outside the garden where through the sweat of your brow you have to force things into submission primarily because you've forgotten who you are. Jeremiah didn't have to go to a school of the prophets to learn how to be a prophet. He just had to remember that he was one. So he had to forget that he was but a youth and that he could not speak. So that's what this revelation that Paul's talking about is all about. So that we can come to a place. So, so here's the goal to come to a place where you're at peace and in rest because you believe and are confident enough in the goodness and the perfection of who you already are. Which then sets you free 
from taking things personally. See, it's actually it's taking things personally that is the whole problem. It's the whole problem. So I cannot be offended about something that you say or do say about me or do to me if I don't first buy into it. So whenever I take something personally, now here's here's how you can begin to experience your life. If we own stuff instead of projecting stuff. I'll explain what I'm saying. I cannot take it personally. Let me say it this way. This is a better way to say it. When I take something personally, all I'm doing is allowing you to confirm what I already fear about is true about myself. So that when I take something personally, so that there's an emotional charge, all it is is a mirror to show to me what I already think and believe about myself. So that when I think someone else is the problem, what I'm actually being invited into is to realize my programming is the problem. But I project and say they're the problem and then a war starts. But really, they're a gift. All right, here's the physical manifestation of that. I have no idea what my face looks like unless I see a picture or look into a mirror. So therefore, I cannot know myself from the inside without something from the outside to give me that knowledge. That is showing you a revelation of your inside. You cannot really know what's inside you until someone else comes and pushes your buttons. Because you can't know yourself by yourself. I, even physically, I can't know myself by myself. I don't know if I have a booger hanging out of my nose. I know. Or lettuce in between my teeth. Or whether my hair got messed up in the wind. Or even what color my eyes are. Until I look in the mirror. But the mirror is not real. If I touch the mirror, I'm not touching me. I'm touching the reflection of myself. So when I get triggered, what I'm seeing is a reflection of my inner life. See, God could, in order for God to know himself, he had to project himself. So that he could see a mirror of himself in Christ. In order for God to know creation, he divided himself. So that he could have all of the experiences in his creation. So that God knows you because he is you because he's experiencing you through you. Does that make sense? So my point is, he couldn't know himself until he projected himself. So when we're dealing with other people, what's happening is, is we're seeing, we're being invited to see ourselves. So really, that's why you can rejoice when you're persecuted. And know that you are sons of the Most High because you're having opportunities to see what's tripping you up, what you learned that you need to unlearn. But instead of owning it and saying, this is about me... 
I project it and make it about you. But if we could just understand that everybody's trapped in the same reality, but they view that reality from a totally different perspective because nobody's conditioning was exactly like yours. But here's the thing. Everybody is central to their own life. And this sounds silly, but let's do it this way. You're, 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 you're orchestrating a movie in your mind that you are the producer, director, and star. <laughs> right? Which means everybody else, everybody else is a supporting cast member. Now, that's just true. Everybody else is a supporting cast member. But now here's what, and so everything's about me, which helps me take things personally. Because everything is happening to me. So if you insult me, it's about me. If you lie to me, it's about me. I can't trust you anymore, whatever. But it's all me-centered. Because you're all just the supporting cast. And I'm going to leave you all. When I leave this world, I'm going to leave you all. So I'm me. I'm with me. Regardless. So y'all are just the supporting cast. But here's the thing. All I do is play uh, guest appearance in your life. Because the same thing's true for other people. See, we think we're the star in their movie. We project, because we're the star in our movie, we think we're the star in their movie too. So if they do something, it's got to be revolving around me because I'm the star. Because why wouldn't I be? Because that's how I know myself. Your family is your supporting cast. Like, best supporting actress, best supporting actor. Right? And then most of the rest of us just make guest appearances. I'm your pastor. You see me on Sunday morning. I'm a guest appearance. Like at the end of the credits. Right? So there's, so at the, at the end of Pam's movie, there's starring Pam McConnell, right? Co-starring Dave. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Sheila, and then somewhere down the road is guest appearance by Aaron Tomlinson. So if Pam does something to me, I think it's about me. When really, I'm just a guest appearing. So it's very easy for me to take it personally. Because she's a guest appearing in Marvel. How dare that guest? You're just making a guest appearance. How dare you try to tell me how I'm supposed to live my life or how I'm supposed to do the ministry or do, well, you, how dare you? You're just a guest. You're just, you at the end of the credits. See, it makes no sense. Right? I mean, from that perspective, it makes no sense. Why are you going to let a guest appearing tell you how to direct and produce and act in your own movie? She's not even the director. She can't even say cut. She can't even say retake. She's just a guest appearing. But I'm going to totally rewrite the script. 
Oh, we need, we need to edit the script. We need to edit Pam out of this script. There, your scene got cut. Your part got cut out of my movie. Bless God. Make sense? And now I got all this energy I'm wasting. And I go grab one of my supporting actors. Can you believe? A guest appearance? She thinks she knows better than how I'm supposed to do this. How dare she? But see, all she's doing, it, but see, here's the thing. Here's what we don't get. I'm a guest appearing in her life. So I have no idea what role I played. Like, am I like, how many of you like the Marvel movies? Like the Marvel movies? Like, am I, you know, like we just saw Spider-Man. So like, am I, am I Peter Parker's friend? You know, the, I don't know how many of you saw the movie, but his high school friend. Am, the, am I the guy that's that's on the on the team the the debate or what was it? Uh, they go do this academic competition and one of the guys there is making fun of <laughs> Peter Parker. There's a scene in there that's kind of funny, but you know, am I that guy behind the microphone that's making fun of Peter, or am I just Stan Lee? You know, Stan Lee makes a guest appearance in all his movies. Remember how Alfred Hitchcock would make a guest appearance? And you're like watching the Alfred... I remember growing up watching Alfred Hitchcock movies, and it's like part of the fun of an Alfred Hitchcock movie is where is he going to appear, and am I going to catch it, you know? And so Marvel kind of picked up on that, and they put Stan Lee in all of their... He's the old guy that you see in all of their... If you don't know that, right? And so I don't know what role I'm playing in her life. I could just be Stan Lee. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Here's my point. She, whatever she's doing to me, she's doing, sorry, I'm picking on you, Pam, but whatever she's doing to me, she's doing to me because of the production and the script and the direction and the starring role that she's playing in her movie. It has absolutely nothing to do with my movie. So if I can keep that in perspective... And I can realize I get to produce, direct, and act in my own film. And if I want to be all bent out of shape by something that she did, I can rewrite my script that way. And I, can, and I am allowed to fully experience that as much as I want to. Or I can just choose to say, you know what, I'm in charge of this movie and I really don't want to feel those things. I can create more drama and suffering in my movie if I want to. Or I can just decide, no, this is my movie. She's a guest appearing. And I'm not going to give her the starring role. I'm going to keep the starring role and I'm not going to get, she's not going to star in my movie. I'm not going to give her more scene time. Why, if she says something hurtful to me, should I go give her more scene time by, for three hours telling Trent about it? And then going home for two hours and telling Julie about it. And then, See what I'm saying? But the reason I do that is because the only way I can do that is if she triggers something I already think and believe and feel about myself. Which is actually my opportunity to own my own fears, own my own emotions, own my own beliefs, 
so I can unlearn something about myself that's not true. So then if she says something to me that's not true and it triggers something inside me, I can be grateful that she showed me what I believe so that I can unlearn, so that I can rest more in the fullness of who I am in Christ. Because when I'm resting in the fullness of who I am in Christ, she can say whatever she wants to say. It doesn't affect me. She can do whatever she wants to do. It doesn't affect me because it has no ability whatsoever to change my opinion about me. And it has no ability to change the reality of what God set in place that I have perfection. Let's just take another one that's, that's tough for us. I can't trust somebody. People lie. I mean, they've done studies. Like, people lie a lot. <laughs> like, a lot. Everybody does. Right? So, but here's the thing. You, you, you externalize what you're doing internally. So you can only lie to other people if you're lying to yourself. So if somebody lies to you, it's not about you. It's about the, it's about the external, externalization of the lie that they're already telling about themselves. Amen. Or they're afraid. They're afraid of you, so they lie to you, right? But we take it personally. And then I can't trust you. Well, why would you put that much trust in somebody anyways? Trusting other people becomes a non-issue if you fully trust yourself. And there was silence in blah, blah, for about the space of a half hour. Because here's why. Because I'm in charge of my life. I'm in charge of what I think about myself. I'm in charge of the decisions and the choices that I make. Not you. So I don't have to trust you. I have to trust myself. So if you tell me something, I can trust myself whether or not to believe you and make the decision I choose to believe you. I can trust myself whether or not to engage with you or I can trust myself to make my own decisions. I don't have to take somebody's advice just because they advise me. And we think we're so smart. We think we're such good directors of our own movie that we think everybody else is using the same script. So we hand out advice. But here's the problem with handing out advice. If it messes up because people are used to giving their power away, they're not used to trusting themselves. They're not used to making their own decisions. So when you offer your advice, what happens if it don't work? What happens if it's bad advice? Does that, does, do most people, if they get bad advice and they go act on it and it doesn't work for them, do they sit there and think, wow, I never should have taken that advice? Maybe. But do they focus on the fact that they, do they own their decision? That seemed right to me, so that's what I did? No. So-and-so gave me really horrible advice. And I never should have listened to so-and-so. So I never should have done that. I should have thought that through better. I should have sought more counsel. I should have realized, or just say, that was a great learning opportunity. That didn't work so well. They take it personally. Joanne gave me really bad advice. And it really messed up. And I've got barking dogs ever since that just drive me crazy. 
I know, I know, I gotta let it go. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I know, you were just a guest. <laughs> but you see, we create so much suffering for ourselves. They lied to me, they let me down, they disappointed me, they didn't live up to their expectations, so therefore now I'm where I'm at because of them. We blame. See, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When the reality is, so, so awakening this consciousness of who you are. So, when, so for Abram to have his name be made great, for Abram to become a great nation, for Abram to walk in the blessing of God, he had to forget, he had to leave the land in which he was dwelling, he had to leave his father's house, he had to get out. And really it wasn't a geographical thing. It was the externalization of an internal process that God was taking him through so that he could step into what he didn't have before. To what he always had but didn't know he had. You know, you know what Abram means? Abram means exalted father. But he didn't have kids. So he was unable to externalize who he already was. So all he had to do was forget his domestication. And if he could let go of his domestication, he could externalize who he already was. Exalted father who has no children. Get out of your country, get out of your neighborhood, get out of your father's house, get out of your domestication, get out of your enculturation. Remember who you are, and a great nation will come from you, and you'll be the father of many nations, Abraham. Because what God did was he took the H... <laughs> The H was already there. See, <laughs> Yahweh has two H's. And you've got Abram and Sarai. Who become Abraham and Sarah. So when they realized they were no longer separate, but realized they both had a hidden H, in who they were, but it was hidden because it couldn't be externalized. So Christ in you, the mystery that was hidden from all the ages past, is Christ in you. See, you just have to find your own H, which is the breath letter God breathed into Adam, the breath of life, and he became... So when you find your breath, your soul, and express it in who you are, I'm no longer Abram, the exalted father. I am Abraham, the father of many nations. I'm no longer Sarai, the barren woman. I am Sarah, the mother of many nations. But in order to do that, you got to forget about all the stuff that you took personally 
And you have to break the habit of taking it personally. (laughs) So that you can express the breath, what God put in you. What God breathed into you when you came from the womb. (laughs) What's been inside you all along. But you haven't. It's as natural as breathing. (laughs) But you forgot who you were. Because you got in the habit of making everybody else's opinion about you so much more important than your opinion about yourself. So that I can walk away and say, I did a good job today because I feel really good about what I did. And everybody can come up and say, that was the worst message I've ever heard in my life. And I've got a choice. I can let them vote how my movie goes, how my day goes, how my state goes. Or I can say, no, I feel really good about the job I did. And I can rest and be at peace in that. And that is a much less stressful, much less dramatic way to live that ends a lot of suffering in our lives. Lord, thank you. For today, thank you for the revelation that you're bringing to our hearts and lives. We bless that in Jesus' name. Amen.